Dear congregation, we all love a good story where somebody expresses strong faith in the midst of opposition, and especially when their faith and what they do to express their faith makes a difference for others and makes their lives better. For example, we might think of Martin Luther when he posted his 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, calling the church back to the true gospel. And even though he was persecuted, even though he was called upon to recant his faith or else face punishment, he stood for what he knew to be true. And God used that to bring the gospel back to light. Or there's also Elizabeth Elliot, who after her husband Jim was martyred, she stayed to minister to those very tribesmen, showing a wonderful portrait of forgiveness and being an instrument that God used to bring many of them to saving faith in Christ. And then there's George Mueller, who looked beyond his lack of funding and trusted God to provide all that was needed so that the missionaries, the orphanages that he was called to start would thrive, and God used them to minister to many lives as well. There are many more stories like this that we could mention, and this is just a sample. But in all of these, we see that believers can stand firm when they trust in God's promises. And this will lead them to take action when they have faith in God that looks beyond the circumstances and holds to the promises that God has made. Today, our passage will be 1 Samuel 17, which is also known as the story of David and Goliath, a true story of a young man who took courage because he trusted in God, and God used him to provide deliverance for many. And it's a wonderful story for us to consider because it points forward also to Jesus and the way that Jesus saved us against all odds and how when we follow Jesus, when we look to him in faith, we also have the courage to stand in the midst of difficult trials. We'll begin by looking at a few verses from a climactic moment, which really show the way that David put his faith in God, which encapsulate David's heart and the way that he saw God to be. And then we'll look at the story scene by scene so that we can see the story unfold and take this very familiar story and see how God will use it to strengthen our faith and show us something new that we might walk with him. So with that in mind, hear now the word of the Lord, 1 Samuel 17, and I'll read verses 45 through 47. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Brothers and sisters, this is trustworthy and true. The opening scene shows the Israelites 
preparing for battle against one of their worst enemies, the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were a group of people who lived within the land. They were a band of raiders, and they were supposed to be driven out when Joshua and the people took care of the promised land, took over the promised land. But because Israel was not faithful to drive out all of the peoples of the land, the Philistines were among those who remained. And as God had warned, they were like snares. They were a snare to them. And the Lord often used the Philistines to call God's people back to him because oftentimes the Philistines would oppress them and cause trouble for God's people. So here we go with this battle. The Israelites are on one mountain and the Philistines are on another. And then there's a valley in between. And just like our tribal football teams who think about all of the installments between each other in the past and are looking forward to this new win, which hopefully will bring a victory for them, so they're probably now looking at what's going to happen and really wanting to win this victory. And something worth noting is the fact that Israel was only as powerful, only as victorious as they were walking with God. Because whenever their eyes were taken off of God, they would experience defeat. And again, this was also one of God's ways of turning their face back to him, of reminding them that they really did depend upon him. And also, before they had said that God wasn't enough as their king, they said, we want a human king, one who can lead us into our battles and who will give us the victory. And now they did have a king, Saul, But Saul was not leading them in the fear of the Lord, so they were not prepared for the enemy that they would face this time. And it was very much like the period of the judges, where they experienced defeat again and again. But this time, a giant warrior lumbers out of the Philistine camp and comes to the battle line. He has all of this armor on him. And he's carrying several different kinds of weapons and has a shield bearer in front of him. And he stands about nine feet, nine inches tall. And then he begins to taunt the Israelite warriors, saying, Choose a man to fight against me. If he kills me, then we will be your servants. But if I kill him, you will be our servants and serve us. But then he says something that we should pay attention to, and this is a key that if we have the eyes of faith, that we'll see that this is very significant. Let's look at what it says in verse 10. Goliath says, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. Now, the thing that the Israelites did not see here, but they should have, was the fact that when Goliath said this, He lost because not only was he turning himself against the people of God, he was even defying God himself, calling on God to bring him down. And as we all know, that is a very dangerous position to take. And he had no more power here. And one who would step out in faith, who would trust God to give him the victory, would win no matter what the opposition may seem. But that's not what the people of Israel saw. They saw this giant. They cowered at his words. 
they saw the fact that the Philistines had been oppressing them for so long, and they cower and they turn away. And not even King Saul would claim the promises of God, the very one whom God had chosen to deliver his people from their enemies. At this point, the narrator pauses the scene. So here we are seeing the Israelites cower, shake in fear. But now we move to another scene. And what we see now is David, the young shepherd from Bethlehem, whom the chapter, in the chapter before, the narrator had presented as the one who would be the new king of Israel, the one who would take Saul's place. Now, he is the youngest son of Jesse, a senior citizen and shepherd from Bethlehem. And David's three oldest brothers, Jesse's sons, had been drafted into the army, so they were there when Goliath gave his ultimatum and everyone did nothing. And it's worth noting as well that David was part of the army as well. He was Saul's private musician and one of the armor bearers. But what he would do is he would go back and forth between Saul and David. When Saul needed him, he would go there, and then he'd come back home to Bethlehem to tend his father's sheep. One day, after the battle had been in stalemate for 40 days, Goliath kept coming out day after day to taunt the people, and they didn't respond. Now Jesse decides to send David to the battlefield with some food for his brothers and their sergeant and wanting to bring back a sign that his brothers were all right. So David, as the responsible shepherd, found a neighbor to take care of the sheep. He gathered up his belongings at the crack of dawn and he set out for the battlefield. And when he got there, he left the supplies with the attendant and went to the battle line to greet his brothers. Now here is where the narrator wants us to pay special attention. So let's read verse 23. And as he, David, talked with them, behold, and the word behold is pay attention, mark my words, take, well, take note, the only time this word is used in this passage, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. So David was there firsthand to see the root of the problem. And he also has a chance to watch the soldiers run for the hills, not taking a stand of faith. And it comes to light to David that even though Saul has offered a impressive reward to whomever would kill the Philistine, riches, a tax break for the entire family, and the king's daughter in marriage, even these will not convince anyone to step out in faith and fight the giant. And King Saul himself didn't take personal responsibility either. And David sees all of that. Let's pause for a moment and take note of the lesson that we are to learn from what we've seen so far. When believers forget the promises of God, they hand over their victory to the enemy. Goliath had already lost the battle by turning the one true God against him. But all that the army saw was an impossible situation. This betrayed their lack of confidence in Yahweh, his sovereignty, and his promises. 
This serves as a lesson for us to beware of allowing fear, sin, doubt, unbelief, or anything to keep us from trusting what God has said. Both the Westminster Confession of Faith and the London Baptist Confession both share the fact that there are times when our assurance before God isn't as strong as it could be, when we, are, we don't have our eyes upon him or when we let sin get in the way. And yet they also remind us of the fact that God will not leave a true believer behind, but he will bring his people back to him at the right time and strengthen their faith once again. And thankfully, in this very story that we are reading, defeat isn't the end. So let's see what God will do now. Now, unlike the other soldiers, David does not let Goliath terrify him. True, he saw the same giant that they did. True, he heard the same words that they did. And true, he saw the fact that this giant was bigger stronger, and more experienced than he. And yet he looks at Goliath with the eyes of faith. And so he speaks words of hope to the other soldiers. He asks them, what is the reward that the king will give to the man who kills this Philistine? This Philistine. David never refers to Goliath by name, always as this uncircumcised Philistine. But the ultimate motivation that David has is not the rewards, but what he really wants is to remove the shame from God's people. And that's why he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David makes a stand for truth and clings to the promises of God. And now as soon as his older brother Eliab hears about this, He is mad, and he begins to malign David, impugning his motives, asking why he left those few sheep in the desert, and impugning his heart as evil. But David's motives are pure. Again, he wants God to be vindicated, and he wants his people to be protected. So instead, he turns to some more soldiers and speaks these same words of life. And it's also worth noting that David, not Eliab, had been chosen to be the king of Israel because God looks at the heart. Soon, King Saul hears that someone in the camp is speaking words different than the fear that all of the other soldiers have been wallowing in for 40 days. So King Saul calls his private musician to himself. And this is where David says something important, which we read in verse 32. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. But Saul also responds that David is not qualified. Now, it's worth noting that David was not a little boy, as some may think. He was probably in his late teens or early 20s, certainly old enough to be the armor-bearer for the king. But because of that, he was young and he was inexperienced. So Saul looks at him and says, you're not able. Goliath has been fighting for as long as since he was your age. So how can you go against him? But that's when David recalls what God has done for him in the past. 
he says, your servant used to take care of his father's sheep. And a lion or a bear would come and snatch up the sheep. And I would go after it. I would strike it on the head and rescue that sheep. And if that lion or bear turned on me, I'd grab it by the beard, strike it down and kill it. God delivered me in all of those situations. And this one is no different, David said, because Goliath, the Philistine, has defied the armies of the living God. He saw what nobody else had seen. He looked through the eyes of faith. And that's where he closes in verse 37 by saying, The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. In response, Saul finally gives David his blessing. Go, and the Lord be with thee. So you see, when David enters the scene, he puts the focus where it should have been all along, on God himself. So now Saul dresses David in a suit of armor. But since he's not used to them, he decides to take it off and use what has proven effective before, his sling and five smooth stones from the stream, the tools that God had used in the past. Now here comes the showdown itself. David takes his place at the battle line, ready to meet Goliath. And when Goliath comes and sees David there, He disdains him, and he begins to try to shake David's faith. First, he makes fun of that shepherd's staff in his hand, acting as though it was a stick that he would throw to a dog. Then he begins to curse David by his gods, and finally, he tries to get David to admit defeat, to hand himself over so that Goliath can give him to the birds and the beasts of the field. But David does not play Goliath's game. Instead, he looks at Goliath and says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. That's your best weapon. That's the best thing that you can offer. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And David said that he would be the one who would get the victory. And the Philistines were the ones who would experience defeat for a specific reason, which we see at the end of verse 46 and into verse 47, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David doesn't come in his own name or strength, but in God's. And that's something important to keep in mind because Eliab and Saul and Goliath have all withstood the one whom God had chosen. And likewise, whenever someone may take a stand of faith, whenever someone may claim the promises of God and step out, there may be times when others will misunderstand And when others, maybe because they're convicted or maybe because they don't share the same faith, will impugn your motives or will try to shake your faith. And the very same thing happened to Jesus. Think about the very fact that God the Father had chosen to save his people from their sins. 
that the prophet Isaiah said that he was a man familiar with sorrows and acquainted with grief, that he had no beauty or majesty that we should desire him, and that he was despised and rejected by men. But always remember that if God has chosen someone to fulfill his purposes, God will bring it to pass. God will see that person through to the very end, and no word of God will ever fail. So the Philistine stares David down and lumbers toward him, expecting to bring him down. And perhaps David had his moment of butterflies in his stomach, but what he thinks and what he does not turn away from is what he had said to the Philistine. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's, and he will deliver you into my hands. So he runs forward, grabs a stone out of his sling, swings it round and around and lets it fly, and it sails through the air, hits the giant in the forehead, and he falls face down on the ground, never to rise again. And so David runs over, and he, the victorious one, stands over his defeated foe. He pulls out Goliath's sword and finishes him off, proving to everyone that the giant from Goliath, the one that everyone had expected to win, was dead. And on this very day, the unexpected, the impossible, became a reality And rightfully so, because as Robert Bergen points out in his commentary, Goliath had cursed God, and the punishment for cursing God was death, and God used David to call Goliath to account, to prove that God will not be mocked. And again, the impossible became a reality, so when the Philistines see that their champion was dead— And when they bring to mind what Goliath had said before, that the one who defeated him would cause Israel to subjugate the Philistines. When they remember this and did not expect this to happen, they run for the hills. And now it's the Israelites who run victorious. And the day turns out to be a great success for the people of God, a turning point for them when all of a sudden their enemies are now subjugated, they are no longer oppressing them because someone took a stand of faith and pointed them back to God. And the story closes with one more interaction. When David went out to fight the giant, Saul wanted to know David's ancestry. Though the narrator does not explain why he or his general Abner didn't know that, Saul waits until the battle is over and then brings David to himself. And now Saul is asking because he wants to give the reward, because he had promised a reward for the entire family. But from this point forward, he is going to look at David in a different way than before. Nothing will be the same. From now on, King Saul and everyone else will look at David as the one whom God used to bring victory for his people. And in the near future, it will be known that David is the one whom God had chosen. Now, a question that we must ask as we consider this story is this. Does David serve as an example for believers to follow? Or 
does he prefigure someone greater than himself that we should look to? And I would say that there is an element of truth to both of these, but I would say that the primary one is that David prefigures someone greater. God specifically selected David to save his people from their enemies. And while everybody else was responsible for their lack of faith, it was part of God's ultimate plan that David would be the one to provide this victory. But David was a foretaste for someone greater, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the son of David, because God had chosen Jesus, his son, to be our savior, to come to this earth, to live a perfect life, to die in our place, to rise again, to provide eternal life for us, to rescue us from sin and the world and the devil, to set us free from what we could not set ourselves free from. Even though we were trapped in sin, even though we couldn't save ourselves, Jesus would be the one to set us free. And even though we ourselves couldn't muster up the faith that we would need, God gives us that too. And as a result, because Jesus is our king, because Jesus is our victor, we follow after him. So David was like a Messiah for Israel, setting them free. But he would point forward to the Messiah who would set all of God's people free. And I remember a friend of mine who preached on this passage who mentioned the fact that David provi- God used David to provide the victory and then the rest of God's people would follow in his train in the victory. And that's very much what we do with Jesus. Jesus provides us the victory and then we follow him. And the very important thing here is the fact that The faith of one person, even one person, can provide breakthroughs for many. That's what we see with David, because as we've mentioned before, David didn't trust in himself. David isn't the ultimate hero of the story. God is, and David himself would tell you that. Just like he said before the battle, he would tell you this after the battle. The battle is the Lord's, and he gave our enemies into our hands. It is Jesus who wins the victory for us, and we walk forward in that victory. And that reminds me of a psalm, a psalm of David in Psalm 108. If we look at the very end, verses 12 through 13, David said in his prayer to the Lord, give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Through God, we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Where in your life are you facing a difficult situation, one that might even seem impossible? Maybe you have a vision for what you want to accomplish, but don't know how you'll find the needed resources or don't even feel up for the task. Maybe there's a difficult person or situation in your life or a difficult project entrusted to you which you feel powerless to face. Maybe there is a hard, pressing question on your mind, and though you have thought long and hard and researched far and wide, you cannot find the answer. True faith, that means, means that we will trust what God has said, even when the troubles around us seem great. 
David was not stronger than Goliath, and he knew it. But he trusted in a God who is. And God gave him what he needed to fulfill his purposes. It reminds me of what the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 4, that the one who dwells in us is greater than he who is in the world. There might be people in your life who are watching you to see how you will respond to these difficult trials. Maybe they are young children who are knowing how to walk. Maybe they're young believers who want to know what it means to walk with Jesus. Maybe they're unbelievers who, are gonna, who want to know what it means to be a Christian. Do Christians really put their faith in the practice? And is there really power to faith? The way that we respond to these challenges can be instrumental in their relationship with God. Again, God providing the victory and his people following him and leading others to do the same. I encourage you to pray for that breakthrough. God will provide the resources for what he wants you to do, and he promises to be with you so that nothing can stand against you if God is on your side. And if God has purposed something, he will bring it to pass. You can face whatever situation you go into. You can face whatever person is before you. And with that hard question you might face, it's okay not to have the answer. It's okay to realize that situation is beyond you. It's okay to realize that person is more powerful or influential or clever than you. But if God is for you, who can be against you? And as long as you cling to him, as long as you trust what he has said, and as long as you take steps of obedience, trusting that it's not in your strength, it's in God's, you can trust that God will be with you and God will work through you and God will fulfill his purposes. If God would provide your savior for you, if Jesus would do what you couldn't, and if the Holy Spirit would live inside of you so that you would will and work for his good pleasure, he will provide you everything else that you will need to do what he wants. He will be the one to give his people the victory. Amen.